What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, and I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend, mentor, Greg Gunn. We have an incredible conversation. Guys, this is gonna unlock things for you around your sexuality, around your hunger, around how to inspire, influence, and call your oldest child into this team captain role that they have. You guys, you do not wanna miss this conversation. Greg has incredible wisdom to share with you. Enjoy meeting my friend, Greg. Okay, my friends, I'm so pumped to be talking to my friend, Greg. We've already been rapping for like 15 minutes about life. Greg, dude, we're both smiling ear to ear, talking life. Dude, it's so good to see you. I love it. I love it. Man, this is so awesome and so cool. And the guys that you have gathered around you that are listening to this, I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt, they are absolute studs. Um, and, And stud is an acronym. It stands for super talented, unyielding diehard. Mm. a bunch of studs uh and if if they're listening to you then there is no way they're not going to change the world and raise up multiple generations that are going to change the world man greg you have such a way about you like i have no idea what you're going to say right now man there was a moment so you and i met for the first time about six weeks ago at this men's retreat and i remember you saying something from across the room to me and, and same feeling i get from you right now you're a life giver. Like you speak life and truth into people without it having to have anything to do with you. Like this isn't about you trying to build your thing or make you look good. You literally are okay if the dude next to you is benching 200 pounds and you're benching 100. You're looking over smiling like, dude, that's awesome. How do you have that kind of outlook where you're pursuing building something around family, which we're going to talk about, but that there's enough to go around and you're just encouraging somebody and it doesn't make you feel less than where's that come from? What came to mind was that God has had me on this journey to develop these two atomic weapons that we have in the spirit realm. Hmm. The number one atomic weapon we have is to give God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. When is being thankful an absolute sacrifice? What's an example? When is it hard? When is it difficult to be thankful? Well, when you're not thankful, when you're not yeah. thankful for something, it's, yeah. it is a huge sacrifice to be thankful, right? The second atomic weapon is praying for the blessing of your enemies. Um, and when you start praying for God to bless your enemies and not allow them to reap what they have sown, dude, it changes your whole, you become this person who says, I want something better for you than I have for me. Your flesh can't be involved if you're praying for someone's blessing who's an enemy. So who's our enemies, though? So, like, what if I don't have an enemy? Well, yeah, we we, we all do. We we have people that have wronged us in the past. Mm. If you're a Democrat, all the Republicans are enemies. If you're a Republican, all the Democrats are kind of they're not just not real enemies, but they're they're people that are that have wronged you, that have hurt you, have hurt someone in your family, they're wronging our culture or wronging the, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so we pray for their blessing. It is, and it comes from Job 42, seven through 10, where, where Job prays for these three guys that have been treating him like a dog for 40, 40 chapters, you know, and then God says, now I want you to pray for them. And he says that God restored his fortunes when he prayed for his enemies or prayed for his friends, but they were really enemies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So why do you think that is? Why pray for the blessing of somebody? What is it about that? If it's a true motive, like I'm not praying for my enemy because I'm hoping God's going to hook me up with a Porsche, Uh, (laughs) but I'm praying for my enemy because there has to be some, some view that I'm choosing of them. What is that view? 
And it's simply that you're praying out of your spirit, your spirit, your flesh. It, when, when you're praying for it, for someone that has harmed you, you're, you don't feel forgiving toward them. You don't feel like they should prosper or be blessed, right? And I just think that by, because I've been doing that now for, for about 10 years, that it just flows out of me now to where I just, I want you to be even more blessed mm. than me. Mm. I want you to have more. You really blessed. feel that though. You I really do. feel that. I'm Why? It's not conscious. It's not a conscious. I don't consciously think that. I just, and now, and now that you're telling me about it, it, it just, it's like, oh my gosh, this is not even conscious. It's like, it, it's coming, it's oozing out of me from, from a So self- how is it oozing out of you? Is it because you made it, a, you, you chose it for so long that it eventually became a yes, part of you? Yes, yes. I think that uh, is. Dude, the, that's what's up. That is the gift. That is the blessing. Okay. Okay. I can dig. So you make a choice and then you do it long enough that all of a sudden you're asked the question and you're like, oh, I don't really know where it comes from. Cause I'm not consciously thinking I better say a blessing to Ned because I actually want what, I, what Ned wants, but I just, you want it for me. Okay. So as dudes are thinking about this, I want to share this because this is something new that I learned. Okay. As I become or am becoming more consciously aware, like I kind of think of my brain or my spirit, whatever you want as like a, whatever you want to call like a, I'm standing by a lake in the woods or in a dojo or something. And a thought comes in my mind. I now can grab the thought and choose what to do with it. Okay. So talking to my mentor recently, we were talking about forgiveness. So I'm bringing this up because you're talking about blessing your enemies, not just forgiving them for what they've hurt you. Like that's a whole nother step. So something interesting is he was like, hey, when Jesus said, uh, forgive your enemy, you know, not, not, you know, seven times 70 or 70 times seven. Right. What, what I never understood or what he kind of unreal unveiled for me was like, say my wife says something to me, that's very hurtful. That comes into my mind, a reminder of her saying that now. I, I say, okay, I forgive her. Now that doesn't mean that it's still not going to come up and hurt me sometimes. But when that thought comes into that dojo, I have the choice. When I see the thought, I hold it in my hand and I go, wait a second, I've already forgiven this. I forgive it. So you're actually, you may forgive the same instant over and over and over. The opposite is I grab that. Oh yeah. She said that to me, you know, and then I get angry and mad, but now you're unlocking this next piece of that. Not only when that thought comes in of this hurtful thing that happened to me, do I go, Oh, Ned, that's over with. I forgive that. But now I hold that and go, this is an opportunity. Okay. Something's trying to put poison in my mind. I'm going to take this poison and not only put it out of my mind and not dwell on it and think about what an idiot she is. Right. But I'm going to bless her. I'm going to say, you know what, you're going to try and put this poison in my head. I'm going to turn this poison into gold. I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to pray a blessing over her and I'm going to mean it. And I'm going to hope it dude, that, yes, that is freaking gold right there. Because how does, because here's the thing is when you put a blessing on me for something that ultimately I know that you want, dude, that is so freeing, bro. Amen. So freeing. Oh, and that's the space I want to live in. Yeah. In fact, uh, Luke chapter six, 27 through 36 in the Amplified Classic, I'm telling you, that has revolutionized my life because it, it so amplifies this process of how do you love your, it's where Jesus is saying, if someone hits you on the one jaw, you turn, turn the other, that whole series there. And then in, in verse 35, it, it, it's just so powerful because it says, and love your enemies, doing favors for them that they derive benefit from it and lend, expecting and hoping for nothing in return and despairing of no one. Consider nothing is lost and despairing of no one. And you will be sons of the most high for he is kind and charitable and good to the unfaithful, to the ungrateful, the selfish, mm. wicked. So be just as your father is all of these sympathetic, tender, responsive, and compassionate. And so, man, are you kidding me? Love your enemies. Be kind. Do favors for them. Lend, expecting, and hoping, and no return. Consider nothing is lost. Despairing of no one. Mm. Your recompense, your reward on that, on that money will be great, rich, strong, intense, and abundant and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind and charitable and good to the ungrateful and the selfish and the wicked. Dude, 
that is like gold. Dude, if as a father, if as a father, I could show up in that manner, I'm truly not loving my wife or loving my kids because of how it's going to make me feel like, you know, because that, you know, somebody questioned me recently because I was talking about something and they said, well, hey, is that really love? Like if you do that in hope for X, Y, or Z, is that really love? Well, I guess not. It's really, uh, you know, me putting a coin in the slot machine, hoping that something's going to come out of that slot machine. That's not really love. So to show up in that way where I'm not looking for you to be grateful, right? Now, obviously, I need to teach my kids responsibility and ownership, whatever. Sure, absolutely. But how many of us men really put ourselves as the hero of the story, right? Like a lot of our actions could look loving, Mm-hmm. But if they're for this selfish desire to feel good about myself, like ultimately you're just keeping a record all the time. Gosh, so good already. Okay, I'm going to pop back for a second. Sure, okay, Greg, how old do you find yourself today? I am 62 years old. 62. How many years you've been married? Been married 40 years in about 10 days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> What's wild is that's one of the greatest gifts you can give to the world. Like. Seriously, thank you. Showing us it's possible. Marriage is hard, man. So if you were if you were to tell the guy who's listening right now who's been married, say he's been married 10 years, the sexy phase is over, meaning, you know, we got married and it was fun. We bought a house and it was fun. We had a first kid and it was fun. We bought our better house and it was fun. And then now all of a sudden the kids are in elementary school. They're not needed as as much or, you know, mom's not needed as much. Uh, my job I'm kind of settled into. And now we're waking up going, holy smokes, uh, this is my life. What would you tell that guy today so that he could be where you are? The key is that we begin to see our wife, that she is the single source of all of our sexual desire. I, mean, I just got to thinking about how the connection, when Rhonda and I are intimate, mm-hmm. there is not a relationship on this earth that is within a thousand miles of the depth of mm. intimacy of that relationship. I mean, not even not even at a thousand miles is there anything that deep of of being intimate with, with, with anyone and realizing that, that my wife is the only person Mm. on this earth that I can only get that depth of need met from one person. Yeah. Within the last few years that, that I have really gravitated to this, 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 um, um, because when Rhonda becomes the, the absolute only way I can Mm. get that, there's no other way. Yeah. I can't get it from an image. I can't get it from masturbation. I can't get it from anywhere else. If I could, there's only one place I can get that incredible, loving, awesome need met is her. Dude, that has changed my, I am so much more compassionate. I am so much kinder. Mm. I've never been so, so empathetic in my entire life. Stuff that used to just great against me. And, and I, you know, my, my wife's a, a picture taker. She takes pictures of everything. And uh, I got, I've got, I had gotten to the point where I just dreaded having to get, a, take, get take another picture and smile at it. We're in the moment. We, we can't even have a moment. You want to take a picture of it, you know, but, but that, that all, that all has gone. I'm, I'm being, I'm being the most compassionate, uh, sympathetic. I'm so excited to get a picture taken. And so that to me, we truly have the deepest connection sexually that we've ever had in our whole lives. And it's because I've changed wow. and I'm now getting a hundred percent of that need met by this one awesome, incredible woman. And so uh, that's uh, that would be she is the she is she's the deepest, the deepest, most intimate relationship you're ever going to have. And God has blessed you with this girl. So dude, just lean in, lean in hundred percent. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's good. Because I think many of us, we are, we are aware that we have a need, right? And if I'm thinking about myself as a dude, I have a need for food. I have a need for sleep. I have a need to do something with my hands and I have a need of sex. And, and the sex one is an interesting one because, you know, uh, it's so easy and so, so approved by our culture to really get that need met however you want. 
But if you look at it as a spiritual component, right, you are, you're giving this, this something that should be really with this one person to have this most intimate relationship. You're giving it to a lot of other things uh, you can be, which is again, then, you know, ultimately what women want from you and I is a sense of security and trust. And, and, and when you're doing something in the dark, that's not in the light, it's going to have impact. Like you could think this isn't going to impact, but a hundred percent is going to impact the intimacy of your relationship. Now I get, dude, I get that that is difficult seasons where it's like, feels like a dry season or, or whatever, but the, the acts, the acts that you're doing, uh, to try to uh, take the pressure off of her are actually just damaging the situation even more. So true, Ned, I'm telling you the, you know, I, I've been a, a believer for a long time since I was eight years old, and and I have walked with God and and you know read the Bible, journaled, you know, for every day, years, year. You know, I'd miss eight days a year or something like that. Wow. And and yet I was getting some of that sexual need met just slightly by who I was looking at mm-hmm. and how long I looked at that person walking down the street. Yep. Or, in the car next to me, or, um, I was by, by watching something on TV that I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want my wife or children to watch me watch. It right. wasn't, it wasn't porn, but it was just, I wouldn't want them watching me watch it. Yeah. It's just that they would, uh, I would be, embar- I would be embarrassed. And when, when I, when I got this got the Lord just really got a hold of me, uh, a few years ago. And, and I went to an absolute, the closest I could get to a lockdown mm. that I get, need met from one person and i'm telling my wife has become so much more beautiful to me mm. she's beautiful to me i mean i i oh and and because i get a hundred percent of my sexual connection from her my heart is tied to her yes one woman and and oh dude i'm just serious i have never had sex and been in, and enjoyed it now there are times when she's just not interested and I am totally interested. And instead of me going, getting like resentful mm-hmm. and all that, which I would normally do, that'd be my norm. I start saying, good, good. You know, I believe the reason I, this is going to be a little bit off subject, but I believe the reason Uriah, you know, when David called Uriah back from the, from the, yeah, yeah, totally. fighting. Mm-hmm. And tries to get him to go sleep with his wife. He wouldn't go sleep with her. He even got him drunk. And he wouldn't go sleep with her when he was drunk. Okay, I don't know. I don't have this from scripture. But here's what I believe. I believe that David's mighty men, their strength was tied to them not having sex while they were fighting. Mm. He would lose this superhuman. They were supermen to kill 300 soldiers in one day with a spear. These were supermen. And I believe their strength came from them saying no. I believe Joseph's entire world got turned around and he he became this incredible man filled with wisdom when he said no to Potiphar's wife. I just think there is something, and they call it in the secular world, sexual transmutation, taking the sexual desire pressing it, not, not indulging in it. And and then it comes that sexual, that transmutation comes out in brilliance and genius and strength and power and on and on. I mean, it's like, so I'm, anyway, I've been studying this stuff and dude, it is, it is powerful. So now when she says, no, I'm not here. So I say, good, good. It's good for me to put the, I believe our sexual desire was never designed to get met. Think about this. When David took Bathsheba and committed adultery with her, he had eight wives and 100 concubines. Dude, if a sexual desire could have gotten met, it would have been met in David. What in the world does he do going out, looking at some woman who's across the way when he's got these hundred concubines who've been to concubine training school. They know everything there is to know about how to pleasure the king. And he's going after some of of the man's wife. Are you an idiot? Wild, wild, wild. Our sexual desire was never designed to get met. It was designed to be kept under control. 
And when we put it under control, it comes out in strength. Oh, yeah, baby. Okay. Dude, that's incredible. So this idea, oh my God, we are so stupid. We're like, oh, I'm a man. I'm a man. That's just what men do. Like men just look, men just do this. It's like, you're pissing away your power, bro. You're pissing away your opportunity to be like elite. It's not saying don't go have sex, but it's saying get it under control. Just like, I mean, dude, just like you and I talked about before we hit record, just like food. Right. Exactly. Like as men, if we want to be these mighty men who walk into a room and are undeniable, then those those uh, desires. Oh, God, food's such a great example, because like I can't eat a badass steak tonight and then wake up and be satisfied tomorrow. No, I'm going to want freaking pancakes or breakfast or whatever. Oh, that's good. That's so, good. Hunger was never designed to get met. Yeah. H- hunger was never. So sexually, sexually and, and food wise, it was never designed to be met. It was designed to give us an opportunity to become the men that God designed us to be. I've never seen that till this minute. That is so true. Dude, I'm fired up right now. In Proverbs 31, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman, that whole, yeah, yeah. the first nine verses don't have anything to do with that. In fact, they believe it was it was Bathsheba and her and her letter to uh, her. This was a writing to, to Solomon. You only said she said the two things that will destroy kings. Two things. Hmm. What hit me? The loose woman. It will take your strength and your your spiritual strength and your spiritual authority. Uh, the, the loose woman and alcohol. Those two things are what Yikes. will ruin are you kidding me dude that is that is so powerful think about this every being god created he created with a sex drive even spirit beings think about the nephilim where did the nephilim come from the sons of god spirit beings have a sex drive and they they actually desired sex with human women and had sex with human women I believe every being God created, he created with a sex drive, and it was designed to be kept under control, never designed to be met. Honestly, dude, I think that's a revelation. That's an end time revelation. (laughs) So God gave us a desire for, let's just call it for both. We have a hunger inside of us. All of us have a hunger. Is that hunger to get fed. Well, it clearly when we go down a rabbit hole of food or sex and and we're constantly pursuing it for comfort, that's where we start to get um like we start looking at stuff that's just like worse and worse and perverted. Like it just get worse and worse. Right. And then even with food, it's like, we go like, look at all the shit we have freaking around our world right now that we could go have access to food wise. We're looking for this satisfaction that was never meant to be met. It was meant to, to create a disciplined man and not, not to where you're putting yourself in suffering in like a, I'm going to whip myself in like uh whatever, whatever that would be. But, right, right. but to be able to step into this role of King and, and I guess, dude, ultimately it's to stop thinking about ourself. Like, can I stop thinking about myself and can I think of others? Because even if dude, if we're talking about sex with my wife, like how often am I thinking about it's about her? Never. That's good. Miss an opportunity, bro. Come on. Come on. So here, I'll share this with you right now. I've never shared this on a podcast before. I don't think, but I'll just share it with you real quick. I was realizing, I don't know what year this was, but I was realizing like, dude, I was getting resentful and frustrated around sex all the time, dude. Like, I think it's going to happen tonight and it doesn't happen. And and so I, I like storm out of the room, you know, it's like 1030 at night. I start and she's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, oh, I'm just like so built up. I, you know, whatever. And she's like, oh, shit, I didn't know or whatever, you know. And um, so anyways, one day I came to her and I was like, hey, I'm going to fast from sex for a couple of weeks. Like, I'm not going to pursue you in that way. So like, if I do anything to like love on you the next two weeks, I just want you to know it's not for me planting a seed uh, to hope something happens later. And what I realized really quickly, dude, is like, I would wake up and I would just be like all day saying things and doing things in hopes that it would happen that night. So basically I'm feeding this chick cookies all damn day long. And by the time, you know, dinner time's around, she ain't hungry because I've been grabbing her ass all day. So what was wild is like, dude, like 14 days in, because I think maybe I did it for 
like all of a sudden there was a shift, like she had a desire for me because I wasn't just freaking on the prowl all day. I gave her some space to get hungry. Um, yeah, so that was a big shift. So I've done that a couple of times in our marriage, which has been really helpful for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and just because I've been saying now to when she's not ready and she's not now, it's still I still have the first impulse is to be resentful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I stop and I go, no, good. This is good. Okay. Did you know our bodies work best? And you probably know this better than me. Not on three meals a day. Did you know that the, the human body actually can perform at a, at a higher level on just one meal a day? Isn't that wild? Now, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know that. I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway, I would love to for somebody to do. Study yeah, I, mean, on I, I recently read uh, and I think it depends on seasons and stuff like that. But I recently read some sort of study, you know, like your most creative time could be when you're hungry, because like if I'm hungry, then my body is becoming more focused because I my body's turning into like I want to go hunt. So I need to be super focused so that I can hunt and kill something to eat. Uh, and so if I just fill my stomach with a bunch of food right when I wake up in the morning, like I'm satisfied, I'm comfortable, like my body's like, yeah, we don't need to do anything. We're cool. So I do find that that's interesting to think about, okay, if I'm hungry right now, I'm alert. And amen. food is really a comfort. All right, dude, we could talk forever, bro. This is so good. Okay. So married 40 years. How many kids do you have? We have seven children. They are all boys. Wow. That? Wow. What's the youngest except, to the oldest? Except for five of them. Oh, uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. All five boys. Girls. Okay. Five girls and two boys. Right. Uh with four of the four older the four first four were girls. Then we had a boy, then we had another girl, and then our, our youngest is is Jacob. He's he's he just turned twenty one. Our youngest turned twenty one. Our oldest daughter is thirty seven. Wow. Um and we have a special needs boy, our our, our oldest son, who who's just about to turn uh, 25 and he has autism, mm. very high functioning, but, uh, is, is probably going to end up living with us for his entire life. Our girls are just incredible. They are gorgeous. They are entrepreneurs. Every child in our family has an entrepreneurial spirit. Jacob works for a, a, a startup company, but he's an entrepreneur at heart. He, you know, he, he, he does some stuff on the side and all that kind of stuff. So, that's our dream, our vision, our financial dream and vision for our family is that in every generation we will we will have the entrepreneurial spirit, even if we are entrepreneurs, meaning we work in in a company, uh, but we still are entrepreneurs at heart, even though we work for a company. So, and then how many grandkiddos do you have? We have five, five grandchildren, five and counting. I'm sure. Yes, yes, that's right. So our oldest is sixteen. Wow. Oldest granddaughter is sixteen and. Our youngest is six, uh, three girls, two boys, uh, in, in the, in the grandchildren. So they're awesome. How do you like being a grandpa? I love it. I love it. And I love the, I love the question you asked me when we were at our men's retreat. You said, Greg, what do you do with your grandkids? How do you interact with them? You know, and I start launching into some, <laughs> so, oh, well, I'm trying to teach them this and trying to teach them that. And you just look at me and go, when do you just play with them? Man, that, is, that has haunted me ever since. <laughs> yeah, why don't? Like, hey, Greg, just go out and play with them. Don't don't teach them anything. <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, I could be a little blunt sometimes. I'm I'm learning from others. It's like, dude, just celebrate. But I'm like two by four between the eyes. It was. <laughs> It was beautiful. Uh, well, was so I'm glad you took it that way. I'm glad oh, you took it that way. It was beautiful. It was beautiful, man. What, so, yeah. Well, what's funny is I'm challenging myself in the same way. It's like I've realized with my children, a lot of times I'm so like, I have only so much time to teach them what they have to know. And then I'm trying to just, I don't want every interaction with my son to be like, good God, dad wants to go surfing. I'm going to learn a lesson. Like, can I just go sit out in the ocean without making it about something? I love it because you're intentional. You are crazy intentional like me. I think there's, there's four of us. <laughs> yeah. <on> here. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm with you a hundred percent. Yeah. I'm thinking, oh yeah, I got to get this lesson. I got to teach them something. I got to, you know, I want my, I want them to. One day, wake you know, remember. Oh, I remember Grandpa. He was 
I remember dad, you know, he really taught me that, whatever. So. Yeah. yeah. And dude, there's actually something I've been wanting to talk to my son about for a little while. And, and I've consciously, like we get in the car, I'm like, this is the time. And I'm like, no, dude, just be. So I'm, because I'm trying to earn the right to that. When I do have something I want to say that he's listening because dad doesn't have something to say about everything. Like, look at that cloud. And what does it mean to our life? And you know what I mean? I mean, I'm kidding, but it, I feel like to them, it could kind of be like that. Like, oh my gosh, this song, listen to the words of this song. And how do you apply this? And it's like, at a certain point, if I say too much stuff, then they're going to tune out. Oh, so true. So true. My grandfather was the most influential man in my life. On some levels, even more influential than my dad. My dad was a great guy, but he made me feel like I was the, his favorite grandchild. And if you ask any of his grandchildren, they would all, all my cousins would say the exact same thing. And so I've been praying, God, that that would be their comment for me. When I'm dead and gone, they, they go, you know what? I really think I was grandpa's favorite. Let me ask you a question, because I think this, this is so powerful. So like dad's listening, like most of the people listening are dads, right? They're probably not grandfathers. This is like your opportunity to go to stop saying, oh, when I'm, I used to say when I'm 42, my youngest kid's going to move out. Like how cool I'm going to have my life. Like, are you joking me? I never want my kids to move out. But what if in some aspects I looked at this as training ground so that I could be the most influential grandfather possible to my kids. So then my challenge to you is, do you need to pray to God to make you a great grandfather? Like the, what your grand, what you said about your grandfather, I'm not saying like we shouldn't ask God for things. And that's not what you're saying necessarily, but you already you're already that guy. Yeah. Like you are already that guy. And, and I think like, just go out and do what that guy would do. Like you had a great example. So what would that guy do? He'd prick and go pick up worms and cut them in half with his grandkids. You know what I'm saying? Oh, dude, my, I don't remember a single spiritual lesson my grandfather ever taught me. <laughs> Not one. And yet I saw him and I still can't figure out exactly what he did to make me feel like uh-huh. I was. I still can't. I still don't. That's my quest. I'm going to figure out exactly. And just you, Greg, you're already that guy. Ah, oh, that's true. Why would I keep looking for that guy? I already am that guy. Yeah, like, oh, oh. Dude, I think this was at the retreat. I think, I don't know where I heard this. When Moses is standing at the, at the ocean or the sea and, and he cries out to God, like, God, what? And God's like, look in your freaking hand, bro. Like, dude, you have, you, uh, you know what to do. Just do it. Right. You know? Uh, So I dig that. Okay. So let me ask this. When you think of your grandfather, like if you were to shut your eyes and just like grab two images of him like where is he what's happening in those images i see him watching cartoons with us no adults ever watched cartoons with us my parents didn't watch cartoons and so he would watch and then laugh mm. i never heard a laugh at a cartoon mm. and i remember looking over him laughing at my grandpa's at woody woodpecker and whatever bugs bunny whatever it was on it's like that Grandpa, we've seen these about a million times. They're they're not funny anymore. Oh, he's just laughing. <laughs> and then he would always bring us a little gift. He would give us a dollar. I remember telling my friends, hey, my grandfather's coming. And dude, I only saw him like two, three times a year. And I would only see him for a few hours. And it was never alone. I was never alone with my grandfather in my entire life. Because there were he had like 36 grandkids or something. I mean, you you should be alone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Anyway, that, that, those were some things I've been thinking about. Like he just, he just would bring us a a sack of candy or a dollar. He would give us a dollar because he forgot to go get candy or whatever on this visit. And he would bring a dollar. We were just mesmerized over him giving us this dollar. You know, I got the formula. I wrote it down. Okay. Okay. And I think us dads could apply this to ourselves as well. When you told me those two images, I I mean, let's not even dig into the candy and the dollar. When you look over at him and he's watching cartoons with you and he's laughing, I wrote down, he is with us. Like you look over and, and he's with you. Like your grandfather is with you. Not, not like trying to make a moment. He's just, he's with you and he's engaged and he's present in something that mattered to you. So true. Dude, and then here's the other freaking nugget I wrote is there isn't something more important. If I'm watching cartoons and I see my grandfather fixing this and doing that and running around, there's something more important 
than sitting here and laughing and watching cartoons. Like cartoons is probably literally the biggest waste of time, right? Like you and I'd be like, this is a waste of time. I'd be like, while you guys watch cartoons, I'm going to go do something that provides value. So how much of the time are you and I and, and dad's listening, missing the moment because we're doing something that we think is more important than just being with. Mm, mm, mm. What a, what a great analysis. What a great, um, to, to analyze that and for you to bring that out of it. That is so good. Dude, I'm pumped. I'm pumped because now I just made this so much easier for you dads. Just go watch cartoons with your kids. You don't got to do anything else. <laughs> but to some level, it's probably true, right? Like, so true. He was so present. He was just so. He was just with us. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. And big. as a grant, see, this is what's hard, Greg, for guys like you and I who are also pursuing, right? Like, like I'm 40 and I'm like pursuing building re- adventure of fatherhood, and you're 62, going to build family ID. To to what level are we also going? We're pausing and and also doing the doing. You know, like we're just being the guy, not trying to work towards helping other people just be busy like us. Dude, oh my gosh. Okay, so since I brought up Family ID, I mean, I would just love to talk about it. The work that you're doing to help families understand who they are. Talk to me about Family ID. I just, dude, I just first got to tell you, all your stuff is so beautiful. It's so like all the work, it's just done so professionally. And then I'm going to share a win from what you, what the work that you've done in my own home. So go ahead. I was in the financial services business for from 1980 to 1997. I was 37 years old. The associate pastor was absent one Sunday from church. The next week he was back. Uh, and I said, hey, David, where were you last week? I missed you. And he said, well, yeah, my wife and I were on our annual family goal setting weekend. I go, oh, what? He goes, yeah, this is our fifth year. We go every December. We go away. We write goals for our marriage, goals for each other, goals for each of our kids, three or four or five goals each each child. And we sit down with them when we get home. We ask them, you know, what are some goals you want to accomplish this year? We write them all down, laminate that, put it by their bed. And we pray over them, go over them with them at night when we're tucking them in. I go, dude, stop. That's the most <laughs> intentional. I do all of that for my business. I have goal setting seminars, workshops. We go on strategy retreats, all this. The thought of doing that for my family hasn't been within a thousand miles of my head. Not like, oh, yeah, I've thought of that and I just haven't gotten to it. No, not within a, that isn't even compute that I would do any of that for my family. Yep. So write me out an agenda of exactly what you do on this family goal setting weekend. He said, now, Greg, you've got to work on a mission, family mission statement, a vision. This guy. Oh, okay, where am I going to get that? Okay, this is 1997. I had just finished Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of those seven habits was to write a family mission statement. Wow, it's all like unlocking for you. Yeah, exactly. And so he'd done a little, a little audio book on cassette tape. So I ordered it, listened to it 10 times. My wife and I drove from Oklahoma City to Tulsa, locked ourselves in a hotel, and literally God spoke through the end of our pen. And this vision statement came out of that was to lay the foundations for many godly generations. That was to what every generation of the Gunn family is to be busy about, is to lay a foundation in this generation for many godly generations to come. And so from that, we came up with these th- the three things every generation of the Gunn family is going to do. Whether you marry into the family and, and, and your name isn't Gunn, but you're a part of the Gunn family, all right, or you have your, your name, your last name is Gunn, that we want these three things to be the three guiding principles of the family. Number one, that you see your family as your first and most important ministry your first and most important disciples. Second, that we are going to be heavily involved in helping our children to discover who they're supposed to marry. And then third, we're going to put an end to unresolved sibling conflict. Uh, We're going to treat our siblings better than our best friends. So those are the three guiding principles for for the Gunn family. We want to become multi-generational thinkers. You know, the the Christian world believes that of course, the Lord's coming back in the next five years. So why have a vision beyond my life in the next five years? You know, no, dude, uh, the Lord uh, may come back and I hope he comes back today. And I'm, I'm, I'm praying for his return. But if he chooses not to return for another 500 years, I want the gun family to be 
living out these three guiding principles and to keep this vision statement and at the forefront of their mind, we are laying a foundation for many godly generations. That started me on this path. And that was in 97, 2003, we formed a 501c3 family vision ministry. And we have primarily been a seminar-based ministry, helping people write in a seminar their family vision statement, their mission statement, and their core values. And that can all be done in about a three and a half hour period that you, your spouse, and, and your children all work together to write this founding family document. This will become a part of your family archives throughout every generation. Just like the Bible is the family archives for one family, uh, Abraham's family, this is this is going to become your your family archives for for your family. So it's uh, powerful. It's so powerful. I love it. And and when I first was, you know, you had brought this up on one of our uh, Friday calls with the group that we're rolling with. And it was just, it's so cool when I'd say God's doing multiple things and multiple people around the place. And then you're able to go, oh, let me give you a little something. And you give me a little something and, and it helped just like unlock more potential for the things that we're doing. And so I just remember hearing it, getting super excited about, you know, the assessment that you now have to help your family understand, you know, who you are. So we've gone through this, the, the assessment and dude, it was really cool when I did it. We're the focused family. Oh, and then, yeah, what I love, dude, is like, then it gave uh, the wolf, like it gives you kind of like a spirit animal. And uh, my middle name is Wolfgang. And my, my dad's middle name is Wolfgang. My son's middle name is Wolfgang. And it's just, you know, it's like all those things start to go, okay, dude, this is, this is what we are. And man, I love, you know, like for our family, really, dude, we are like a, like a wolf pack, something that we, we kind of celebrate as a family is like, we're very independent. Like each of us could run off for a day and go do our own hunt, do our own thing kind of, but like, dude, and then, but then I think of a moment like last night, bro, uh, my son had three friends over. So like four middle school or high school boys now, just, it was chaos and loud. And so I walk into my room and my wife and four daughters are all laying in our king size bed, just huddled up like a bunch of freaking little pack of wolves, just and they need that time to be together. Yes. And it feeds their souls. But now there's there are such independent women off doing their own things today. But um, it, it just, dude, it's just so, so good. So I'm going to bring up something that really impacted my family from your work. So like as I went through Family ID and I looked at all your resources, one of the things that was really incredible to me was this idea of the siblings. Okay. And so like I read through this stuff on the sibling and really you're, you're talking about the oldest has this, especially the oldest has this really important role. And so I've been talking, it's really an interesting time because Brooklyn 17, she's a senior in high school. She just first day yesterday. So it's already this really interesting transition. And this summer there's been this heightened awareness for her that this is not how life will always be. She's going to move out. So she's already had this more in tuneness to be connected to her siblings. But now your stuff has unlocked some conversations for me to have with her to say, Brooklyn, your role is a really significant role. Like your siblings are looking to you in a certain way, but also you play this kind of role where you have a connection to mom and dad as well. It's almost like you're that in between of the the younger, not even youngers, but those who are after you and then mom and dad. And, and so she's like, yeah, dad, there's this different weight that I have. When you or mom speak to them or, or treat them, like there's this different feeling of that I have about this. Dude, so that stuff has been like, what are thoughts you have around the sibling stuff that you've been, because that's one of your core values as well as a family. Talk to me about that. Well, and, and that's what the key uh, that you have you have just uncovered is that your older and your older sibling the older siblings all have a team captain anointing mm. they are anointed with the ability uh, it's not a chore for them it's not it's this isn't a heavy burden for them to bear the team captain they are built for it especially the firstborn they are just built to handle the whatever weight that is it is comfortable for them. And, and a team captain, a, you know, a coach, a coaching staff will choose a team captain because they're not necessarily the best player, but they're a player that, that is good, they're disciplined, and they're, they're, they have a heart for the team. They want to see everyone win. They're not like this 
individual players just trying to you know float his own boat. This is somebody who's really focused on the entire team doing well. And if a team, if a, if a coaching staff, if they don't use the power of their team captain, they are crazy. Okay, the team captain, teams I grew up on, the coach would come in. We're gonna you know we're gonna win the next state championship. Blah blah blah. You know, and then then he'd leave. The team captain would get up and go, okay, is the coach gone? Yeah, he's gone. All right, listen, here's how it's going to go. All right, this year, if I catch anybody on this team doing drugs out late or drinking during football season, me and my buddies are going to have a uh, going to throw a party in your honor. It's a blanket party. Okay? We throw a blanket over your head and beat the shit out of you, so you can't, and you can't tell anybody. <laughs> Because you couldn't see us, we had the, we had the blanket on your head, right? And so I go, oh, dude, I'm now the coach on his best day couldn't have policed that rule. Dude, he doesn't have that authority. He doesn't. He doesn't have that influence. There's the ticket. Yes, yes right. Uh, a team can a position of authority. It's a position of in, of influence. Your your older children don't. They don't have the authority to punish. Okay. Right. Right. So, right. You have this awesome position of, of influence and they can do they can police this in a way that looks like you, you can't and and so when you sell them on their team captain role it is just crazy good and then your 70 year old so how many boys how many boys do you have one one okay how old is he he's uh 14 okay all right when his 17 year old sister i had an older sister one time she told me my shirt looked good. Guess what became my favorite shirt? Yeah. Of course, that one, right? Now, why? My mom told me my shirt looked good every day. Well, she, she bought the shirt, and <laughs> yeah. moms are supposed to say that. Right, okay? right. When my sister said it, she didn't have to say it. And when she said it, then it was either true. And that could be for something incredibly negative or incredibly positive. Yes. You see what I'm saying? So, in fact, so if if your if your daughter says to your fourteen year old son, "Did you know that the girls think you're really cute?" Well, first of all, every fourteen year old thinks they're a klutz and that no girl's ever going to like them, right, or whatever. But that older sister, oh my gosh, she is a life giver. She can give life, or she can take life, and and for her to have this, whew, dude, she she will accomplish. And here, here was another another study on this was that, that that these psychologists were saying, look, in a in a family, the the the, the older siblings are like the nurses in the hospital. Uh, mom and dad are like the, the the doctors. Okay, the doctors swoop in like for two or three minutes, you know. But it's the nurses that are there doing the work all day, every day, and not, uh, so it's the same. Your your daughter, your older daughters, and are are, are these team captain. Have these team captains? They're there all time. They're there all the time. They're there as as the nursing staff on on all of these on all the all the younger children. So, Greg, I think that the um, the opportunity you're giving dads right now. Okay, so dads, you get to speak life into the oldest son or the oldest daughter, and to show them who they are. Like, hey, you have such an influence in this home. Your role is so important in this home. Call them into it. Well, one, it's going to make your life a heck of a lot easier, right? Because you're not all things to everybody. I think that's really important to understand. I want to share two victories that I've seen. I'll just share one. Dude, last night, bro, last night, one of my daughters is crying on the couch telling us about an issue she's having with a friend. I think that because of the conversations we've been having with our oldest around the sibling thing, last night, she's sitting there and mom and I are going, hey, daughter, do you, to the younger one, do you want us to call their parents? Do you want us to set up a time for us to connect? And she's in tears. She's just like, no, I think it'll make it worse. No, I don't know. And then Brooklyn, my 17 year old steps in and she's like, Hey, I know your friend, uh, really looks up to me too. Right. Because she's a 17 year old girl. Of course, this 14 or 15 year old girl is going to look up to my daughter as cool who drives and is beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And she says, Hey, I know I've, I have some, some influence. Would you like me to set up a time to meet with the three of us? And my other daughter goes, yeah, I would really like that. But here's the thing, mom and I had to back the frick off, right? And not and not say like, well, one of us should be there or one of us should be a part of this. We both were like, okay, you guys can take care of it. And like, dude, how how rad is that? So, oh man, there's nothing more beautiful, dude. 
that's the way, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. That is so, that is like, that is the way. You have just found the way, man. And I'll tell you, that just took a burden off of me, which I probably would have made worse anyways. And it gave Brooklyn the opportunity to step up as the team captain and to go and and help create conversation. Like, why do I think I could do it better? I can't. I mean, I know literally in this situation, I can't. So I think the opportunity dads have to empower the team captain is huge. And and for you as, you as dad, dad, your job is in this is to sit down with those with your children. And I remember Hannah, my oldest, was choking her little sister, Bethany. You know, they're like eight, nine and six or something like that. And so I grabbed them and set them up on the bed. And I, I start crying because I drove my siblings outside the family to get their needs met. Peer pressure becomes insurmountable if, if an older sibling is continually hurting the younger siblings or ignoring them or, or whatever, because uh, they need that they need that older siblings. In, that influence is so important uh, for their development, for their growth, for their, you know, in, in whatever way. That team captain position is so important is so important. And, and then we've got to, we've got to pass this law, dad, you've got to police this law that we're going to treat each other better than our best friend. Yeah. Uh, that goes, that goes, and, and I told the kids, look, you can call me out. If I don't treat Rhonda better than I would my best customer, my best client, if you hear me using a tone of voice or the face uh, that I would never use with a client or a coworker, Guilty, I give bro. you permission with respect, but I give you permission to call me out. I try to apologize immediately whenever I do say something in a way I would never say to a, to a coworker, to, to a client, you know, uh, it's, you know, asking for forgiveness quickly, uh, when, when I do violate that. And I'm telling you, a teenager is happy to help hold you accountable. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt about that. So one thing that has been on my mind to share in this conversation because it's a, it's a constant push that I think a lot of people get from their kids is about um, having their own room. So, so as I just want to throw it out there to dads, like to the best of your ability, I think, and I don't know that we were ever really designed to do life alone. Now I will tell you, my son has his own room. He's 14. And then the 11 year or 10 year old daughter has her own room. But the three teenagers have been jockeying, teenage girls have been jockeying to get their own room. And the answer is no. Like, I don't need you to become more selfish and be able to isolate more. I don't need that. I need you to learn how to operate with others. So I think if you can, you know, when your kids are young, especially like at one time, dude, we were in such a small house. I built five loft beds in one room and then another bedroom was full of dressers. And I think that that created such a bond for my kids because you know, when mom and dad go to bed and they're falling asleep, talking and stuff, you're doing that with siblings. And so if you can create this opportunity for your, your kids to, to share a room, I, anyways, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I think it's important. Greg, we're coming up at the, the, the top of the hour, dude. And, uh, I just got to say like, what a rich conversation wild, all the things we've touched upon. Um, but I just know that guys listening are really, uh, really probably moved by this. Um, is there anything before I ask my last question? Is there anything we didn't touch on that you just would be like bummed if we didn't we didn't talk about? Yeah, I was just thinking about uh, if I could just quickly give you the the three things that my dad did right. Uh, I just really were things I want to duplicate uh, in in my life, and then the the two or three things that I I wish my dad had done different uh, when it, when when I was growing up. So. Number one, my dad was a faithful man to God, faithful to my mother. Man, what a what an incredible man! Uh, he read probably over a thousand Christian books. This guy was a ferocious seeker of God, and and, and just that drove me and motivated me uh, to to want to be like him. Um, my dad took us on a family vacation every year, and my dad was just a different man on vacation than he was. Uh, he was a pharmaceutical rep. He was gone all the time. My dad was very smart, uh, but when he when he came home, he was normally a little tired and a, and a little bit grumpy, you know. But on family vacation, he was just a different guy. And and so I know all you guys that are listening, you are busy. You've got you're so busy, you're dizzy. You know that you can just take that vacation time and you can just put it all all to the side. Look, I look back over my life and and 
my dad was there. He was there a lot, but he, he didn't make it to every ball game. He didn't make it to, he didn't definitely didn't make it to any of the practices, you know, that kind of thing. But that vacation made up for, I, I think all of it. I don't think I missed him not being there at every single game, you know? So I just want you to know that there is something powerful about you and them, him spending. I don't, I don't remember my dad spending any money on himself. He didn't play golf. He used to work all the time. He just never, it's like when he got, started having kids, he said, well, I guess I'm going to put all that on the shelf, you know, at the rest of his, I don't, I can't think of him spending money on himself. He's always spending on, I guess there's, you know, four kids and not, not, not a ton of money left over, but okay. And then the two things, the things that I would, that if I could change about my dad, I wish my dad had taken me to work with him. He was like, um, you know, he'd be gone for two, for, for four days and four days a row. He'd come on, come home on Friday evening uh, when he'd be out of town for those Monday, Tuesday, right. But he could have, during the summer, he could have taken me with him. I could have had breakfast with him, lunch with him. Of course, we, we only had four kids. I don't, we very seldom, I can't even remember maybe on maybe one or two times that I actually went and just did something with dad because we had time. He had to get us all together. You know what it's like. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, yeah. The one-on-one. Yeah. I think that's really okay. That's you know, good. That, that, and, and then I would have seen him in a business environment. I never saw my dad. He talked to doctors and, and, and surgeons and he went around, you know, I could have, and he could have dressed me up like him. I think if he had put a suit on me, looked like his suit, I could have, those guys have said, Hey, you need to buy some drugs for my dad. You know, I think I sell, sell some extra, you know? Uh, and then um, I wished he had, you know, to, the, the, they did this survey among teenagers said, if you could change two things about your dad, what would that be? They said, if he just wouldn't get so angry and then if he would just admit when he was wrong, and so again, those that would be two things that that I wished I wished my dad had done more growing. I just wouldn't have gotten so angry because it, it's man, I was it, it really hurt when he did. And then and then the, the final thing is that my parents went to this church conference, and uh, in the conference they said, if you've hurt someone, um, I want you to list their name and then go back and ask them to forgive you if you've never asked them to forgive you. So my parents went to the conference. They came home got us all in a huddle in the living room. Uh, I was about uh, 10 years old. My my sister was 11, my two younger brothers, eight and six. And my dad started crying. And he said, I want to ask you kids to forgive me for the times that I've disciplined you in anger. Um, I've hurt you. I was overbearing when I when I yelled at your mom in your presence and on and on. And he just, man, he was crying. I thought, I was going, yes, dad, I forgive you. Please just, just quit crying. Cause if dad's crying, something bad's wrong. Right. And so, but in that minute, I forgave my dad for all the past. And in that one minute, I forgave him for the present. And then I forgave him for the future. Uh, when I went off to college, I mean, I had friends who wanted to go party and skip class and da da. You know what I said? I don't want to go. You know why I didn't want to go? Cause I didn't want to hurt that guy mm. that was balling. That day in our living room. And that was one minute. That was one minute of his life. And I tied my the rest of my relationship to him to that one minute. Uh, did my dad discipline, discipline me in anger after that? Sure he did. He's a human. Okay. He made me so mad I wanted to leave home. Yeah, I did. But when I finally got over that initial anger, I remember thinking, nah, that, that wasn't my real dad. My real dad that was crying that day in our living room. I mean, it's just unbelievable that that one minute could, could, could capture my heart and my relationship to him uh, from, from then on. So anyway, that's, that's, those are two things I wanted to be sure and, and share. And, and Greg, what I'm, what I'm so, why I'm so glad for multiple reasons that you share that, but ultimately, <laughs> is I want men to hear how powerful they are, right? And when, a, when I'm talking to a 62-year-old man with seven kids of his own, five grandkids of his own, a bunch of years, and he can go back to a one minute where he is a kid and his father's crying, that means that this man had such an authority, God-given to have an influence on you. And at 62, it could still bring you to tears as like 
you're a savage. Like you're a badass. Like I look at you and you got just freaking lion face. Like it still has impact on you. And I bring that up because I want men to know when you go home today, when you see your children, when you speak to them, you have an enormous amount of power. So don't abuse it. Use it wisely. Amen. Amen. Good word. Good word. Greg, this has been incredible. I, I just look forward to the friendship that we'll continue to build and and the great work that that we'll do together to uh one, influence our own legacy, you know, and then and then the 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 hope is that other men are inspired by it and want to do the same. My friend, let me ask you this last question. If you were to peer into the home of your great grandkid or your grandkids in 30 years, right? So 30 years from now, you're 92 years old, you're looking into the homes of your grandkids. What is it you want to see? I want to see every fan, every every home is filled with uh, this love for each other. That we treat each other in this family better than our best friends. If if, if that if I could see that in every one of those any any one of those homes, you know, part part of our gun family vision statement is that that we will model the love and the worship of God at home as well as a local church, uh, and so. That's where we want the modeling of God's love. The, the Jewish family models the love and the worship of God at home. Uh, and, and I'm not sure what all they do at the synagogue, but they do a lot of stuff at home, right? And so uh, we want to duplicate that in, into every generation of our family. And that when I die, and I want it to be what my children say about me, uh, is um, that what my dad said all the time was, I am the richest man in the world. And each of you are my greatest treasure. Hmm. I want that to be the comment. I want them to be able to stand up at, at my funeral and say those kind of things. Uh, my dad said all the time that, that he's, he's never been so happy in all his life. Um, and and that, that we make him the happiest. Uh, that, that his happiness comes from, from all of us and on and on. I want those little words, those little sayings to be the things, the things they remember. Uh, about me. And I want them, I want the next generation to be laying a foundation for many godly generations in their family, you know. Man, well said, beautiful, and I know the work you're doing is building to that statement to be true. So, Greg, I uh, love you, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you for your generosity and your time and uh You're, wild, man. you're awesome, dude. Until next time. <laughs> God bless you, big man. Thank you, bro. God bless you guys. Thanks for being on. Oh my gosh, guys, what an incredible conversation. I mean, as you can hear, this man is just so generous. I mean, from loving our enemies, praying for blessing for our enemies, to him just being so open about sexuality. Like at 62 years old, he's just helping unlock things that he would tell himself when he was 10 to 15 years into his marriage. Guys, this stuff is pure gold. Many of us will have to experience life, but the wise man learns from those who went before them. Let's learn from Greg. Let's be the men who are celebrating 40 years of marriage, a big family and grandkids and all that comes with that. And then guys, this whole thing around the oldest child being the team captain. I mean, how incredibly beautiful. What an opportunity you and I have. So appreciate if you want to learn more about Greg or about Family ID, there's a killer assessment they have, familyid.com. Go check that out. It can just help bring more clarity to what's important to you and your family. I love those kinds of assessments. Like anything that's going to spark a conversation in your home is worth having. All right, my friends, we must know who we are. <laughs> Digging into the assessments, right? Our world would look and feel different if men showed up in their identity to love, serve, guide, provide, and protect. And this is why I launched and started the Adventure of Fatherhood. You can go check it out, adventurefatherhood.com. You can go get the kid's book, which I wrote and designed to help a father see who he is, help him connect to his child, and then to serve as an opportunity for you to give it as a gift to another dad to welcome him into fatherhood. I mean, if you've had kids, like what gift were you given when you first became a dad? Anything? Did anybody acknowledge you as a dad? You have an opportunity to go to adventurefatherhood.com, order a couple books, have them on your shelf, hand them to a new dad and or order a gift box and write a note in there that says, bro, I see you, you have what it takes. That's what many of us men need is to be seen and to be reminded that we're a man, that we have what it takes. So check that out. 
All right. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against a view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.